I pray that as we open his word together this morning, that he would speak into our lives. Uh, Pastor Joey is away, our lead pastor. We want to be praying for him. He is speaking at a church this morning that over 30 years ago he was youth pastor at. Uh, So what a special opportunity he has to speak at that church this morning. Be praying for him and asking God to, to do his work as he's away. And he has earned his vacation, but he will be back tomorrow. So uh, we are looking forward to that, and we are thankful for, for God and him just giving us uh, the leadership of Pastor Joey and for his heart. Um, and we pray that he is well-rested is what our prayer is. One of my favorite holidays is coming up in just a few months. Uh, usually on this day of the year, you see a whole bunch of kids dress up in costumes and get a whole bunch of candy from a whole bunch of different strangers. Uh, we even as a church host an outreach event for this holiday, hoping to reach people. Uh, so does anyone have any idea what holiday I'm talking about? I hear a lot of Halloween, and yes, it's on that same day. But I'm actually talking about Reformation Day, uh, which gets overlooked a lot of times on October 31st. But that's one of my favorite holidays is the idea of Reformation Day. <clears throat> In this October, we will celebrate 500 years since the Great Reformation. Now, this might not mean much to you as we are sitting in our pews today, but this is an important day in the history of the evangelical church because the Reformation was guided by individuals who were convicted, uh, convicted that the Catholic church was drifting away from the original teachings of the Word of God, the original teachings of the Scriptures, Uh, and that they were drifting away from the essential truths of the Christian faith. So what the Reformers did, they did several things. We we know of Martin Luther and the 95 Theses and and, and so forth, but the Reformers came up with also five Latin phrases that they would say that the Church of Jesus Christ could not waver on. This is what we today know as, and you might have heard this phrase before, the five solas. And this is what they are. Sola Scriptura, which means Scripture alone, that the Bible alone is our highest authority. Sola Fide, which means faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus. Sola Gratia, which is grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. And solely dea gloria, to the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God and nothing else. Now, I'm not sure what that list does for you this morning. I'm not for sure how you feel about those five points. But I think it's a very solid list. I'm thankful for the reformers. I'm thankful for the five solas. I'm thankful that they fought for these truths in the forefront of the church, and to distinguish ourselves from the Catholic Church. And it seems like this battle is continuing to be fought today. Not against the Catholic Church as much, but just the Christian church as a whole. We are fighting against the ideas of what, we're, what we see as basic fundamental beliefs in the Christian faith. So today we're going to look and continue the fight for one of the solas, which is sola scriptura. Because we as a church feel like the Bible is our highest authority. 
And we're going to take a stand on the Bible and God's word no matter what comes our way. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. And in honor of reverence of the reading of God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this together. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21 says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with which I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as, a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that this first of all, that no pr- prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, it is the word of God that speaks to us today. Lord, please take me out of what my interpretation is, what I think it might say. And God, please give meaning to your word and show us how to live this out. May we put our hope and our mission in everything we do here as a church on the foundation of the word of God. And may we never waver. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at three things that we believe that the word of God is. Okay? We believe that the word, what God's truth is and how it impacts our lives. Point number one, God's truth is powerful. Let me say that again. God's truth is powerful. Starting with verse 16, it says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. There is power in the word of God. There is power in who Jesus is. And the cleverly devised myths that is talked about in verse 16 that continue to be taught in our culture today and in many of our churches today do not have any power. There's no power in the myths that, that we continue to hear in our culture today. What are some of these myths? One of them is if you just live for God... You'll receive wealth, health, and prosperity. But the truth is, in Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. Taking up your cross is not always going to give you prosperity. It's not always going to feel good. All right? So the myth that as long as you follow Jesus, it's gonna, you're going to get all this wealth and prosperity, that is a myth. And there is no power in that, but there is power in the word of God. 
Then there is the myth that people say that there are many ways to heaven. Or some people might even say, well, there's not a literal hell. Well, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then in Matthew 13, verse 50, speaking of hell in general, it says, And throw them into the fiery furnace, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of uh, teeth. The word of God specifically speaks of a literal hell. That if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity away from him in a place called hell. Now our culture, are gonna, they're going to teach this myth that either there are many ways to heaven and Jesus says, no, there isn't. Or there is no really place such as hell that if you don't know Jesus and you die, you're just going to not exist anymore. That That is not true, and there is power in what Jesus says in the Word of God, but not in the myths. One of the other myths that we often hear, and I've heard this in many Christian churches, and it's scary that we teach this, and many of you have probably heard this too. All that matters is that you believe in God. It's all that matters. Just believe in God. And you're safe. Well, James has something different to say. In James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe. So obviously, just believing in God is not enough. There has to be a response to our belief in God because the demons believe in God, and guess what? They're not going to heaven. So belief isn't enough. So we hear these cleverly devised myths, and let me tell you, church, this morning, there is no power in them. There's no power whatsoever. The power is in the word of God and in the teaching that Jesus gives us through his scriptures. So make no mistake about it, church. There is no power in this, but the power is in the word of God. Do not allow yourselves to follow these cleverly myths that are often taught by televangelists on TV who are just looking for your money. Don't allow it to happen. We must stay clear of all heretical doctrines when we proclaim the coming of our Lord Jesus in his, majest- in his majesty. So when we read verse 16 and we see, for we do not follow, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying that when we talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus, when we talk about the truths of the gospel, we can't apply any of the heretical doctrines. We have to turn away from those doctrines when we talk about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we must stay away from the heretical doctrines. Speaking of heretical doctrines, 
if you turned on your TV at all yesterday, you were probably as disgusted as I was to see what was going on and what took place in Charlottesville. Now, please know, this wasn't, most of this was not the people of Charlottesville. This is people who came from outside. But let me tell you this. There is no place in the kingdom of God for superior racism. And we, as the church of Jesus Christ, cannot be okay with what took place. Any form of superior racism, and that includes white supremacy, it is evil and it is satanic. And what they need, the people who were there yesterday, is they need a little bit of the word of God to change their lives. Because here's the thing. What people don't understand that we're protesting all the General Lee stuff yesterday is we were all created in the image of God. And when you put one race down over another, you're messing up the whole Imago day being created in the image of God. And we as a church of Jesus Christ can not be okay with what took place because what they believe is heresy. And they need Jesus. And that's the only thing that can change them. Because we, we read it in, in his word. Like in 1 John four twenty, it talks about, if you say that I love God, but you hate his brother, you are a liar and you are not from God. Or in 1 John 3, 15, it talks about that if, if you hate, you are a murderer and you will not be in the kingdom of God. So what we saw yesterday on your TV, and if you, you haven't turned on your TV, you, all you got to do is go home. You'll see it today. Turn on any of the news stations. You'll see it. What we saw there was evil and satanic. Let me tell you how evil and satanic it was. <clears throat> Russell Moore who is the president of our Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in the Southern Baptist Convention. So if you're like, what in the world does that mean? Russell Moore is our voice in the Southern Baptist Convention for ethics. He tweeted yesterday literally two words, or a couple words. This is evil and satanic. Okay? The, the pastor or president of the, the Church of Satan tweeted him back. And said, don't call this a Satan because we want no part of it. That's how evil and satanic it was. Like, you know what? Like, no, that this is this is the core of what evil is, satanic. So we have to stay away from and, and not only stay away, take a stand for what the word of God says. Because there is power in the name of Jesus, so let's speak about him with confidence and speak about him with power. The word of God must be our life source for anything that comes our way. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says it like this. Have nothing to do with irreverent, irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. I pray that we would train ourselves daily 
to look, to look like Jesus, to look like what God would desire us to look like. And part of that is being in the word and studying the word. The problem becomes when we don't know the word of God enough to have confidence in it. So some of us today might say, well, I just don't know the word enough, so I can't have confidence in it. Well, let's get into it more. Or there are some of us who may even know the word of God, but we don't like how it goes against our culture. And there's an issue there. There's no power if it's not the word of God. So if we feel the word of God is infallible, which is what I'm trying to preach about today, if we feel like it's infallible, that nothing is wrong with it, then there isn't a better source for your life this morning, no matter what you're going through, no matter the struggles that you're going through, no matter what God is putting you through right now, there's no better source for your life than the Word of God. It's the Word of God through the work of God that's going to change lives. So we must depend on it for both our power and our confidence. Our power and confidence is not in ourselves. Our power and confidence is in what the Word of God says. And let the work of God be what what is seen. So we see that God's truth is powerful. Next, we see that God's truth is comforting and convicting. Verses 17 and 18. For when when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on a holy mountain. So we see this sense of comfort from the life of Peter. But, But Peter also knows that the word of God in the presence of God is not only comforting, but it's also convicting. But first, comforting. The Word of God brings us comfort when needed and convicts us when needed. Is it just me, or does God have His way about? Anytime you're going through a trial, going through a difficulty, going through a struggle, or whatever, finding the right person to say the right thing at the right time, like it just it just seems like God has his way of comforting us. And sometimes it's comfort, but sometimes it's I'm doing something stupid and I need someone to speak to me so that I'm convicted about it. And that's what that's what the word of God is, is it can it can be comforting and it can be convicting. <clears throat> Peter here in First Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1, what he's doing is he's remembering being an eyewitness at, at Christ's transfiguration in Matthew 17. So he was there at Christ's transfiguration. I'm going to say it properly sooner or later. But what it does is it helps bring him comfort and, and anticipation for when Jesus comes back. So he remembers seeing him there And what he's doing is it gives him comfort in saying, one day Jesus is coming back. One day he's going to come and he's he's going to take me home. What in your life brings you comfort in knowing who God is? What is it that maybe uh, um, when you're going through a struggle, you think back and, and something helps bring you comfort? 
for each person is different. I know for, for me and probably my wife and our, our, our family that uh, we have is one of the difficulties that we had um, early in our marriage and um, um, the first few years was this idea of we had, we had three miscarriages. And uh, the first one was extremely, extremely difficult. And you all have probably heard me talk about this before. <clears throat> but it was amazing that through that, just to see God's comfort in the midst of what, what was d- devastating in our hearts and lives at the time. Uh, especially when we didn't have any kids. So anytime we go through or I go through like difficult times, I always think back to that. Like, man, God got me through this. God got us through this. We have three beautiful kids that we love. God, God was patient with us. And he walked us through a very difficult time. So I try to think back to that just to remind me who God is and how loving he is. So what is it that in your life uh, that brings you comfort in knowing that God, who, God, who God truly is? Maybe it's a time or a situation or a scenario in your life. <clears throat> because when we are truly in love with God, we naturally run to him in his word, not just when we need help. Right? It's a consistent thing that we are running to him and running to his word. It's not just, oh, I need help. Now it's time to go and talk to God. That's not how the Christian life works. John Piper in his book, God is Gospel, says it like this. The critical question for our generation, for every generation, is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food that you've ever liked and all the leisure activities that you've ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you've ever saw and all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted and no human conflict or natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Church, the answer is no. There... To be deeply in love with Christ, to be deeply in love with his word, we know that we could never be satisfied or even comforted without Jesus Christ. It's impossible. It would be no heaven at all if it was without the presence of God. So Jesus and his gospel is what should fuel us for all of eternity, not the things of the world. His word doesn't just comfort us, but it also convicts us. His word convicts uh, us on a daily basis. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says it like this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing its division of soul and spirit, the joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's discerning the thoughts and the intentions of all of our hearts. And in that same same verse, it says, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Why is it a two-edged sword? Because it is both comforting and convicting. So it knows your heart and it helps change your heart. It helps change who you are. So the reading and teaching and the preaching and studying of God's word sometimes hurts because it is meant to deal with our weaknesses. It is meant to deal with our sins. And you know what? All of us in this building today have one thing in common. 
We are all sinners. And guess what? Because we are sinners, we need the word of God to convict us of our sin so that we can daily, daily, hourly sometimes turn away from that sin. And the word of God is meant to be an encouragement, but it's also meant to be a weapon to destroy that sin. It being talked, as a, talked about as a sword means it is an actual weapon. A weapon is meant to hurt. But you know what? This is the type of weapon that hurts for our own good. For our own good. <clears throat> so we, we read in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So speaking of the Word, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus was here from the beginning. And, and John 1, 1 speaks of him as the Word. He is the Word of God. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Chronicles of Narnia, speaks about Jesus in his Word. And he, he talks about how Jesus and his word isn't always safe. But he's good. Let's watch this clip right now. Don't worry. We'll see him again. When? In time. One day he'll be here, and the next he won't. But you mustn't press him. After all, he's not a tame lion. No. But he is good. Yeah. You need it more than I do. Did you catch it? He's not a tame lion. But he is good. It's not always safe. But he is good. It doesn't mean prosperity and safety. But it is the best. And that's the representation of God's word and, and, and Jesus. That's, that it's not always the safest. But it is the best. And that's the Christian life. Living for Jesus and his word. It's not safe. But he, his word, he and the faithful life is good. When the word of God is central in your life, it's not always going to be comfortable. Our comfort is not God's end goal. Peter desired God to to receive glory in spite of his circumstances. And please don't let anyone teach you that God's end goal is your own personal comfort. Psalm chapter 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor uh, stands in the way of sinners or uh, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight 
is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Listen to what he is like. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's like a tree that is planted, that storms are going to come and you're going to be moved around and you're going to shake. But guess what? The tree is not messed up. I pray that we would be a people uh, on the word of God like that. Last point. Uh, The truth of God is powerful. It's comforting and convicting. And then it is also countercultural. Countercultural. Verse 19 and following. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed uh, to which you will do well to pay attention as to the lamp Shining in a dark place. That's, that's us today, a lamp in a dark place. We are living in a dark world until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing the first of all, that first of all, uh, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men uh, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, it is countercultural to everything that our culture teaches today. Being real for, for us this morning, the scripture goes right smack up against what our culture is trying to teach our kids. It scares me what my kids may learn out in our culture today. I got to put my hope and my trust in the Lord and let the Lord take care of that. But it scares me because our culture goes right smack up against the word of God. And I agree there are primary issues that we need to really stand on like the reformers did. And I believe that there are secondary issues that are not salvific. But just because there are secondary issues doesn't mean we're okay to go against God's word on it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is all breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. All of it. Not just some of it. Not the parts that we like. Not the parts that make us feel good. But the entire word of God is breathed out by God. So if you don't like what the word of God says, your problem is with God. And we must stand on the word of God. And if we believe that verse, then God hasn't changed his mind on what sin is over the last 2,000 years. If we truly believe that the word of God is profitable and breathed out by God, we must be diligent to stand up to the word, uh, for the word of God, even when it bucks up against culture. That's exactly what Peter wants us to realize from this passage, that we, learn, that we would learn to be a light in the midst of darkness, as he says there, a lamp shining in a dark place. 
What is written in these pages of this book is not some man's interpretation, but this is actually the, the, the voice of God speaking to us so that we would live it out. This is what I think we celebrate in October. What will be 500 years of the Reformation? That we're not going to be subject to people's own interpretation of God's word. And I think this is what Martin Luther stood for. We're not going to be subject to people's own interpretation of the, of the word. Watch this clip. Oh, duh. Martin Luther, are you the author of these writings? I am. Do you recant what you have written here? I cannot renounce all of my works because they are not all the same. First are those books in which I have described Christian faith and life so simply that even my opponents have admitted that these works are useful. To renounce these writings would be unthinkable, for that would be to renounce accepted Christian truth. He is not here to make speeches, only to answer. In the third group, I have written against private persons and individuals who uphold Roman tyranny and have attacked my own efforts to encourage piety to Christ. I confess that I've written too harshly. I am but a man and I can err. Only let my errors be proven by scripture. You, Martin Luther, will not draw into doubt those things which the Catholic Church has judged already. Things that have passed into usage, right and observance. The faith that Christ, the most perfect lawgiver, ordained. The faith the martyrs strengthened with their blood. You wait in vain for a disputation over things that you are obligated to believe. Now give your answer. Yes or no. Will you recant or will you not? Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason, and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot. And I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Yes! 
I pray that our conscience is captivated by the Word of God. And that it is led by the Word of God. Romans 15.4 says that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures that we might have hope. <clears throat> we have this book. It's an instruction book. An instruction book for life. And I pray that as we read through it, even when it bucks up against culture, that we would speak it because it is the only thing that's going to give us hope and give them hope. The word of God is what we need. Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, that man cannot live by bread alone, but every word of God that comes out of the mouth of God. Our culture, and the word of God is countercultural. Our culture speaks things that are not from the Word of God. <clears throat> Don't let c- culture dictate truth. Because here's the thing. Culture says Big Bang. While Genesis says in the beginning. Culture says success while Exodus says deliverance. Culture says antiquated while Leviticus predicts atonement. Culture says God doesn't hear Numbers shows God is patient. Culture says cut corners while Deuteronomy shows us obedience. Culture says give up while Joshua teaches conquest with God. Culture says to blame others while Judges gives us deliverance. Culture says God wouldn't want you while Ruth shows us redemption. Culture says something is better than nothing while 1st and 2nd Samuel says obedience and sacrifice. Culture says look to government while 1st and Kings says God is superior Culture says only look forward while First and Second Chronicles reminds us to be thankful for our history. Culture tears down while Ezra helps us see restoration. Culture builds barriers while Nehemiah reconstructs. Culture says the word of God is outdated. Esther shows that it perseveres. Culture says health, wealth, while Job reminds us that there can be blessings through suffering. Culture says praise everyone while Psalm says praise God. Culture offers worldly worldly wisdom while Proverbs offers practical and godly wisdom. Culture says seek happiness while Ecclesiastes says all is vanity except for God. Culture says love and marriage is how you feel while Song of Solomon says love and marriage is great only when done right. Culture says, I work my way, while Isaiah says, we need a greater sacrifice. Culture says that God is only love, while Jeremiah says, God is love and judge. Culture says that God only provides. Limitation says, God provides and takes away. Culture says, glorify self, as equal says, glorify God. Culture says, fit in, while Daniel says, stand out for God. Culture says, you mess up and nobody will be there. Hosea says, God will buy you back. Culture says today is my day, while Joel reminds us this is the day of the Lord. Culture says it's okay to be lazy, while Amos says rem- reminds us there's judgment for laziness. Culture says we determine right and wrong. Obadiah says God has already determined right and wrong. Culture says worry about yourself. Jonah says everyone needs to hear about the gospel. 
Culture says there's no end judgment, while Micah says there's a divine judgment. Culture says to trust in others, while Habakkuk says trust in the sovereign God. Culture says there's no hope in God, while Zephaniah says there's hope in the presence and coming of our Lord. Culture says don't change. Haggai reminds us that God is constantly changing his people. Culture says it will deliver you, while Zechariah says God is the only deliverance. Culture says to go through the motions. While Malachi says, pure religion is useless. Culture says kingdom, while Matthew says God's kingdom. Culture says suffering self. Mark says suffering servant. Culture says he was just a man. Luke says he was the perfect man. Culture says another prophet. John says the son of God. Culture says your belie- uh, keep your beliefs to yourself. Acts says, spread it to the whole world. Culture says, I'm righteous. Romans says, God makes us righteous. Culture says, live however. First and, Corinthians, first and second Corinthians says, live like Jesus. Culture says, freedom in self, while Galatians says, freedom in Christ. Culture says, we determine holiness and family. Ephesians says, holiness and family has already been determined. Culture says immediate happiness, while Philippians has the secret to a joy-filled life. Culture says lifestyle is optional, while Colossians says lifestyle and character matters. Culture, culture says don't be concerned for the church, while First and Second Thessalonians says the church is the vehicle in which we tell others. Culture says don't, uh, God doesn't care. First and Second Timothy says that God writes us a love letter. Culture says it's my personal life, while Titus says there's an expectation of conduct. Culture says payback. While Philemon says forgiveness. Culture says reach your dreams. While Hebrew says Jesus is better. Culture says to hide your problems. While James says that we're to have a genuine faith. Culture says avoid suffering. While First and Peter, First and Second Peter says embrace suffering. Culture says it's my life. While First, Second, and Third John says we do this life together. Culture says don't fight your fight, uh, your fight for your faith. While Jude says. Contend for your faith. And culture says, no one can judge me. While Revelation says, the Lamb of God is on the great white throne of judgment. See, our culture is going smack up against what the entire word of God says. And the word of God is countercultural, but guess what? It has power. It has power. And we today as a church need to stand on that word, on the Bible, no matter what comes our way. The world always tries to reinterpret what God's word says. Always go back to his word. That's what Martin Luther wanted us to do is if I find it in my word, I'll change my opinion. But if it's not in the word of God, it doesn't have power and it is just a silly myth. And people of God, although the word of God might be countercultural... We have nothing else to stand on this morning. Let's give up everything, even our comforts in life, for the sake of the word of God. Tim Kiziar says this. Our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Let's not be scared to fail while we stand on the word of God. Because that's what gives us our comfort. Let's be more concerned about possibly succeeding at things that don't matter for the grand scheme of eternity. Because it really doesn't matter other than 
the word of God. Colossians 3.16 says that the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus by giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let it dwell in us. And John MacArthur says it like this. Be an expert on the word of God and you always know what to say to the culture. We always have a response to the culture if we're an expert on the word of God. I don't know where you are in your Christian life today. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what your, difficult, uh, your difficulty is in your life today. <clears throat> but I do know this. The word of God has answers. And it's the answer. There are probably people in here today who came to church and maybe this is just your routine or whatever. But you came to church and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, let me tell you something. The Word of God speaks specifically that Jesus is the only way, the, the, tru- the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except for Him. There is a literal thing called heaven and there's a literal thing called hell. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you trust in Him, when you turn your life and turn away from your sin, God saves you. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you need to uh, ask him to come into your heart and come into your life. Or maybe you've never been baptized and you just need to follow Jesus in obedience and baptism. Maybe you need to join the church. Or or maybe you need to come to the altar and just pray and say, God, I know that this culture feels like it's spinning out of control. God, give me boldness. Give me boldness to always stand on your word, no matter the difficulties that might come. Because it doesn't look like our culture is getting any better. So be prepared for worse. But you know what? Church, it is okay. Because we have the answer. We have what we need to live by. So our culture might come right smack up against what we believe. But that's okay. I have his word and I have Jesus. That's all I need. Now let's live like that. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for this time that we have had this morning to be in your word. And I pray that you have in whatever way we needed to, you have challenged us. I pray that your word has brought us comfort. I pray that your word has, has convicted us. And I pray that we as the people of God here at Mount Pleasant would stand on your word at whatever cost. Thank you for reminding us, God, that how powerful your word is. Thank you for reminding us the comfort that we find in it and the, and the conviction we find in it. Thank you for reminding us that it is countercultural, but that's okay. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts and the lives of all of us in here this morning. I pray that we would be changed because we have heard your word and we have experienced your presence. I pray all this in your name.